verses here for you. And we'll get right into the message tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 11. The Apostle Paul said, Under and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. People say, well, I, I've heard Calvinists say, well, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't, it's not our job to persuade people. God calls, He regenerates, and then He saves them. Wow, that's kind of funny. The Holy Spirit of God, through Paul, said, we persuade men, right? And I like that. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in the heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it's to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. And he goes on through that passage. But I want to turn you back to verse number 14 again. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And I want to look tonight at the constraining love of Christ. And what it means to us tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the night. Thank you for the good testimonies. Thank you for the way that you work in your, in, in your, your children's uh, lives and hearts. How you work in our lives. And uh, Lord, I thank you that we, at times we are given the opportunity to stand up before and tell people what you're doing in our life. Said over in the Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And uh, thank you for that opportunity tonight. I want to thank you, Father, for how you work in my life and how you direct and guide and, and uh, how you correct and, and lead and all of the things that you do that we don't always see right at the, right at the moment, but we look back and, and see, as the song just said, that it was a good thing to let you to have, have your way in our life. And uh, we thank you for that tonight. Now, Father, we're looking at your word tonight. We're acknowledging we need you. We need to hear from you. And we need a word from you tonight. We need some help tonight. And we just look to you for that help, and we know where to find it. And so as we look here tonight, and we ask you, the Holy Spirit would just illuminate your word and teach us and guide us into all truth. And, Father, that we would go out of here uh, with a, just a new uh, a burning desire for you and for your will and uh, for your work in our life. We ask you that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at verse 14, and the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, we, I, I wonder how he got to that place in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. How did he get here? And I want to show you tonight, I want to maybe lay out here tonight, uh, how not only would Paul maybe get here, but lay out for us how we could get to the same place in our own life that we could say, every one of us in here could say, the love of Christ constrains me. And you could say that for yourself. The love of Christ constrains me. Say that with me. The love of Christ constrains me. That's you, right? You said me. Okay. And I want to see that. How many, how many know this? How many know the first time where love is ever mentioned in the Bible? 
Can anybody ever remember that? I'll give Jim a minute to get back in here. And he has the most amount of a uh, repertoire of useless information. But this is not useless. And, uh, but uh, the first time love is mentioned in the Bible. And that first time is between Abraham and Isaac. The first time you will see the word love of any kind, loved, loved, loving, lovest, loveth, you will, you will not find it before Abraham and Isaac, and it said that he loved Isaac. We're talking about a love of a, between a father for a son. We're talking about a love that is between a father and his only son, knowing that there will not be another one after him. Yes, there was another son, and I believed he loved Ishmael. It was still his, his blood, and, and it was still his flesh and blood. It was still his son, but it was not the, the son of promise. And the Bible doesn't say that he loved Ishmael, though I don't doubt that he did. But the Holy Spirit saw fit to put within the Word of God that Abraham loved Isaac. Does anybody know where the second mention of love in the Bible is? The second mention, the first mention was between Abraham and Isaac. The second mention of love was found between Isaac and Rebekah. Isn't that interesting? We know how that happened, right? Abraham had sent his servant. What a beautiful picture we have here of the Godhead. We have Abraham, who's a type and a picture of the Father. We have Isaac, who's a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that servant going down uh, into into Abraham's uh, family, that type and picture of the Holy Spirit of God, going to find a bride for the son. I love the picture here. And Abraham has sent his servant. He swore to him, go find me. A, a, a woman, a wife for my son Isaac uh, from my own family and my own kindred. Don't take one from anywhere else. And so that, that uh, servant went down and he went down into the, to the land where, where uh, Abraham grew up in the Ur of the Chaldee among his family. And uh, he said, remember he prayed to God and he said, the, the damsel that comes out and gives me to drink, that's the one. And boy, he had barely gotten done. And here comes out Rebecca coming to get water in the day. And uh, he said, get me something to drink. And she says, yeah, I'll get you some drink. And let me get something for your camels also. And he goes, this is it. And he stopped and he said he worshiped God. And he, he couldn't believe how quickly God had answered his prayer. And so, of course, he explains who he is. He explains who Abraham is. He explains who Isaac is. He tells her all of the wealth and all of the, and all of the greatness that they have and what a, maybe went through what a godly man he is and what a wonderful family this is. And, of course, so Rebecca brings this servant home, explains to her dad. And Can you imagine that time frame? Could you imagine some of you ladies, some, some dude showing up and saying, hey, my master's got a really good son, and uh, why don't you let your daughter come back and marry him? What, what do you think about that? <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, in that day and age, I mean, they, and they did ask her. Don't get me wrong. This is an interesting insight into this culture here at the time. They said, do you want to go? See, God drags nobody kicking and screaming into heaven. God takes nobody who doesn't want to go, right? He Listen, it is whosoever will. Include What that means is whosoever wants to. And if you don't want to, hey, you're fine. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to come at all. The, 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 the parents said to ask Rebecca, would you like to go? 
Right now, she's already got earrings on her, some pretty cool jewels that the servant's given her. And maybe she's looking at the room. Oh, yeah, maybe I will go, you know, <laughs> right? And, uh, and uh, she said, I'll go. Isn't that interesting? The bride said, I'll go. I'll go. The spirit of the bride, Revelation, the spirit of the bride, say, come. That invitation is always open. Not only was the invitation open to the bride, but now the bride is extending the same invitation in Revelation. What is the bride? It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ extends the invitation to the world to come just the same way that they were called. And so she is given the choice. She says, yes. And here they are. You remember the scene. They're traveling back up into Canaan. And she'd been trying, I don't know how many days, been days traveling, I'm sure, no doubt. And uh, they're talking away and they're getting close to home. Isaac's out in the field. The Bible said he'd been out in the field, he'd been praying there. <clears throat> and Rebecca sees Isaac and she says, who's that? And the, and, and, uh, and the Bible says, the servant said, that's him. That's, that's, that's your man right there. The Bible said she covered her, covered her face and she got down and, and uh, Isaac saw the bride that was brought to him and he just received her. Can you think about this? What a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know there's no dating period with Jesus to see whether, you, whether you're going to work or not? I like that. He's not like, well, I don't know. Let's try this out, right? Uh, and then like the modern era today. Well, why don't we just shack up and see how it works out? Uh, let me tell you, if anybody's watching online, let me tell you something. Divorce rate is 50%. Shacking up is 75% greater than the 50%. It's just statistics. Dumb, dumb, dumb. It's, it's ungodly and worldly wisdom, and it doesn't work. But I like the picture that's drawn here. I love what we see here. Isaac just said, yes. She said, yes. He said, yes. The Holy Spirit was doing all the work, right? And Jesus said, whosoever shall come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll never say no. I like that. And it says in Genesis 24, 67, Rebekah became Isaac's wife, and it says that, and he loved her. Let me give you some hope to the married, right? It is possible, it is possible to fall in love later if you didn't fall in love at the beginning. He loved her after he married her. There was no time to, quote, fall in love. It's wonderful if that can happen, but, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. And uh, the, the, aren't you thankful that love can still be a part of it uh, even after the fact? Rebecca became his wife, says he loved her. So the first mention of love is between father and son, the, the father for the son. The second mention of love is between a, a son and the bride, between a son and the bride. And it's an incredible picture of God's love. Over in John, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, we know what it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, right? He goes on to say, that He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's an attribute. It's who he is. He can do nothing but love, right? And you say, well, it says he's, he, he, he's angry at the wicked every day. Yeah, that is within the bounds of his love. Why is he angry at the wicked? Because he hates sin, because it's destroying those who he loves. Right? And he hates it. So notice this. We see love pictured between Abraham and Isaac, we see love pictured between Isaac and Rebekah, and it reveals to us the love of our God. It reveals to us the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, I want to show you something else, that love is chosen. 
We're getting to 1 Corinthians. Love is chosen. Love is a choice and love is possible. Right? You can choose what you don't think you love. You can choose to love what you don't think you love. You can choose that. Yes, I could even choose to love a cat. I just refuse. I can get along with a cat, okay, once in a while. But uh, it is possible. It is possible. So watch this. Abraham chose to love Isaac. Now follow this here. Knowing nothing about his future. I know there's biology involved. I I know there's the biological love of a parent and a child. But but let, let me say it this way. Abraham chose to love Isaac regardless... I almost said irregardless, that's not a word. Regardless of possible disobedience. Abraham chose to love Isaac regardless of possible shame to the family. Some children do that, don't they? Bring total shame to the family. uh, Abraham chose to love Isaac not knowing anything about maybe a possible rejection of Abraham. Some children reject their parents and they go on and they want nothing to do with them. It happens. Abraham chose to love Isaac not knowing anything of the possibility that maybe Isaac would reject his God. No, there are some things that Abraham loved Isaac, but it was, an, it was love with an imperfect knowledge, and he chose to love him. Isaac chose to love Rebekah, knowing nothing about her past or her future. Now, she might have got a little inside of her past, but you probably couldn't have known all of it in the, in the day and a half that, uh, that, the, the, that uh, the, uh, the servant got to know her, right? The few days he got to know her. Uh, the three minutes that Isaac got to know her before they got married. No, he ch- says he loved her. That was an immediate thing there. He, he knew nothing of her personality. He knew nothing of her maybe weird idiosyncrasies. He knew nothing of maybe there could be a possible rejection down the road of her towards him. He knew nothing of the possibility that maybe she could bring shame to the family. Right? He knew nothing of the possibility that maybe it was possible that maybe she couldn't have children. He didn't know any of this stuff. But it says he chose to love her. He loved her. Rebecca, watch this, both Abraham and both Isaac, both the first mentions, first and second mention of love in the Bible, father and son, son and bride, husband and bride, both Abraham and Isaac chose to love by faith. It's a beautiful picture. We love by faith. You, when you got married, if you're in here and you're married, you, you chose to love by faith. You didn't know it all. You didn't know everything that was going to come down the road. You didn't know what was going to happen. But you chose to do it. It's a beautiful picture. But it does kind of fall apart eventually. The picture does. And here's where the picture of God's love comes to a fork in the road. I said we we see God's love here, right? It's a beautiful picture. But there is a difference between the love of God... And the love that we have for those things that we love in our life. Those things that we love by choice and those things that we love by faith. There's a difference. Abraham and Isaac chose to love knowing nothing of the future. Listen closely. God chose to love knowing everything about us. 
Everything that had been, everything that was going to be. Listen, how many of you have sinned since you got saved? How many? Come on, raise your hand. Bunch of liars. Come on, raise your hand. <laughs> how many of you have sinned since you've been? Do you know God knew that? Did you know God knew when you, you whatever you class up, maybe you look in your life and you say, no, I royally messed up after I got saved. No, I destroyed some things. Maybe you might say, I hurt a lot of people. Maybe you say some decisions of mine really altered the, the future of my, of my usableness with God, right? Listen, he knew it. He knew that was coming in your life. He knew you were going to sin like that. And what, did it, what does it say about him? He loved you knowing already. He loved you knowing. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a thought. Sherry and I got a new puppy a few years ago. We, uh, somebody else is enjoying him now. <laughs> but we got this new little puppy. And can I tell you something? A puppy is probably one of the easiest things to love. It really is. I don't know how many times... That stupid dog woke us up at like 2 and 3 in the morning. I remember one morning we're in the living room and this little thing is just energy everywhere and he's wanting to, you know, to go and play and, and we're just irritated. Also, we looked at each other and just kind of laughed because it's like he did something. You're like, oh, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. This thing woke us up out of a out of a really good sleep, right? And just because he wants to play and he's all excited. It's easy to love a puppy. Why? They have a loving nature. They, 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 they just have unconditional love for you. I'm telling you, right? You can, you can kind of forget to feed it for a couple days, which doesn't really happen. You can forget to feed it. You can, you can leave it outside by accident. You can, you, know, you can do all sorts of things to this thing. And I'm telling you, you see it again, and it's just happy to see you, right? Yeah, it could be like lost two legs and it's dragging its way into the house. Happy to see you, right? I mean, they're just wonderful. They're almost happy in any circumstance. And uh, it's just in the, the innocence of this little puppy, it's so easy. It's so easy to love, right? It really is. I was up in Springfield just telling Sherry about this. Today we're talking about this. Several, oh, I don't know, last summer or sometime up in Springfield, I saw these people, they're begging, begging for, they, they, they were not, they weren't, uh, they were off the clock. I mean, they weren't up at the corner begging for money. They were off the clock and they had all their stuff piled up uh, behind a building there, over by a building. And I noticed there it was, their dog. I realized, you know, that dog doesn't even know the family it's a part of. It's still happy, right? It doesn't even know that it's, it's mom and dad are having, probably don't have to, but are begging for, for food and for money. And that dog doesn't care. It's just as happy as can be, right? Could care less. It, a dog, I mean, would be happy if you had a billion dollars or if you were a billion dollars in debt. They're still happy around you. And I'm telling you, it is really, it is really easy to love. Yeah. I got to tell you, None of these qualities mark a cat, though. You know, you know what the Kyoto University said? Cats won't side against you. Cats won't side with you against an enemy. <laughs> this was, they did a study. Cats will not side with you against an enemy. If somebody breaks in the house, they're gone. Somebody breaks in the house, the dog's all over them, right? Yeah, a cat won't do that. They're like, all right, see you, buddy. Uh, leave the food later, would you? I'll come back later, right? What am I saying? It's easy to look over the nuisances of a dog. Yeah. 
They're cute. They're kind of unaware of what they're doing. Even if you have to go home and clean up after them, right? <laughs> they want you in their life. They want to be in your life. Some, some days I'll, I'll be outside in the woods working and the, and the dog's there. And it's some, I'm telling you, uh, it's just one of those beautiful pictures of what should be between us and Christ. And I can be working away and he'll be right there. And he may run off for a little bit through the woods, but then he comes back. And he may go play over here, but then he comes back. And, and it's just like, what a picture of our life. You know, we, have, we go to work, we do this, we do that, we do this. We're running up, but you know what God wants? Come back. We gotta, no, we've got to go do this, but we come back. You know, he, th- these, they just want to be with you at all times. And I'm reminded, I'm reminded how unlike a dog we are at times with God. Yeah. What we write about puppies, God couldn't write about us. Think about that. What we say about dogs, God, God couldn't say about us. We know what we do. Right? We know when we sin. Am I losing you here? I mean, come on. We know when we sin. We know when we willingly, we willingly, we willingly disobey. We know that. Sometimes our heart is just rotten to the core. He had to pursue us. He had to come after us. You know, a dog gets strayed. He's going to find the first person he can find to attach to and stay with. You know what we do? We want as far from God as possible. He has to come after us. Yeah. And even after a long pursuit, many will still say no. No, I don't want anything to do with you. No, it's, it's easy to love a dog. It's easy to love a little puppy especially. But ever, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever looked deep within yourself and asked the question unto God, why do you love me? What is lovable in me? You know everything about me. You know every sin of my past. You know every sin yet in my future. You never know every denial that might come. You know every disobedience that might come. You know everything that is going to come in the future. Right? How, how, no, listen, how can we not look at, at, at an honest assessment of ourselves and not marvel at the fact that God loves us? It's an incredible thing. And then watch, then we watch, then we see, uh, we look back for you and I, we look back 2,000 years at love performed. The greatest act of love ever performed was manifest at Calvary. Abraham loved Isaac. Can I tell you the father loved the son? And yet the Bible says it pleased him to bruise him. I don't know about you. I don't know anybody in here who has a son who would be willing to offer him up to let Jeffrey Dahmer go free. I know the guy's dead now, but I'm going to think of some of these names. To let Charlie Manson go free. To let David Horowitz go free. Son of the son of Sam. Let him go free. Right? I don't know anybody in here. I don't know anybody in this planet who would say, tell you what, yeah, I know the guy's a pretty awful, wicked, rotten guy, and I know he's confessed it to but you take my son and put him in prison for life, and go ahead and let him come out. Because why? Because I want him to come and I want him to live with me. You can have my son. I just want him to come, come live in my house. We'll take care of him. 
let me let me put a finer point on the t- on the pencil. Yeah, I know you killed my other child. Let me give you my son so you can come and replace my other child. No, no, we don't do that. You say, oh, that's kind of silly. No, actually, it was worse than that. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, right, is sinless and perfect and did nothing wrong. I was thinking of this song, this hymn. This one verse says this, As at the cross I humbly bow and gaze upon thy thorn-crowned brow and view the precious bleeding form by cruel nails so bruised and torn. Knowing thy suffering was for me in grief, I cried, How can it be? How can it be, oh, how can it be that God should love a soul like me, oh, how can it be? Pretty overwhelming, isn't it? You know you, and I know me. And it's astounding. And it's astounding what I don't know about you, and it's astounding what you don't know about me, that God knows, and He still loves us. No, He chose us. No, He pursued us. It wasn't like, well, okay, Come on. It was pursuit from the foundation of the world. Before he made it all, he pursued us. So see, we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wondered this as well. See, the Apostle Paul rejected Jesus Christ, didn't he? Here he was, look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He was was consenting to the stoning death of Stephen. He was there. They laid the clothing at his feet. I don't have time to really explain to you what that was. Here Paul, uh, undoubtedly Saul was on the council of the Sanhedrin, and it was a part of the practice of whoever, whoever won the debate, the articles of clothing was laid at the feet of the one who won the debate. Right? And wh- where did they lay the clothing of Stephen? At the feet of Paul. He was a brilliant mind. He knew the law brilliantly. Wait, wait, wait. He could not, he could not get victorious. He could not win against the Spirit of God. And that was what Stephen had that he didn't. And, but here he was. He consented to the stoning death of Stephen. The, the, he, he persecuted the churches of God. He said, he used these words, I wasted them. I wasted them. On his way to Damascus, here he is trying to bring more Christians uh, to trial, more Christians uh, uh, to death, no doubt. And here in Acts chapter 9, it is where Jesus stopped him. And he said these names. He said this word. He stopped him and said, Saul, Saul, that's his Jewish name. Now listen, Saul, Paul didn't have a name change. The Bible says nowhere that that's Saul's name, that Jesus changed his name to Paul. It's not in the Bible. He had two names. He had his Roman name, right, Paul, and he had his Jewish name, Saul. Jesus is addressing him under his Jewish name, Saul. Why? Number one, Jesus came as a Jew. (laughs) Number two, uh, uh, Saul was a Jew, well acquainted with the law. Jesus was dealing with him as an Israelite, not a Roman. Because why? The Israelites rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. And Jesus shows up and says, Saul, Saul... Listen to these words. Why persecutest thou me? 
me. Yeah. He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Yeah. Hey, I've said this before. It comes to my mind again. Be very careful about coming against one of the churches of Jesus Christ. Because if you attack them, you're attacking him. And that's not a good place to be, friend. It's not. Jesus goes on to say it's hard for thee to get, kick against the pricks. What are those, those long pointy sticks that they would drive sheep with and move them with? Kind of prod them a little bit. What was going on in Paul's life and Saul's life? Conviction of the Spirit of God. I have no doubt that since the day that he heard, that he heard Stephen preach Jesus Christ, he fell under conviction and he began to go out as much as possible, as Peter ends up saying, as a roaring lion seeking that which he may devour. That's what a lion does when he receives that death blow. He'll begin to go out and try to take out as much with him as possible. It's what Satan is doing, and I see here, we see in the New Testament, it's what Paul was doing. And Jesus stopped him. Paul was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was persecuting Christians. Paul was overseeing the killing of Christians. And Paul goes on in his life after he gets saved, and he acknowledges his unworthiness. Listen to Acts 22. And he said, And I persecuted this way, speaking of the Christians, unto the death. Wow. He, he had him killed. He was a murderer. He said, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Acts 26, 11, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities, unto foreign cities. Paul said, I, I, he, he said, I compelled them to blaspheme God. Wow. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, For I am the least of the apostles that am not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, I'm only an apostle because God chose me to this. I am not worthy to be this way. Listen, listen to what he says in Galatians 1, 13. For you have heard of my conversation, my lifestyle, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And then in 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ <clears throat> came into the world to save sinners. And what does he say? Of whom I am chief. Yeah. Paul knows his unworthiness. Paul knew what he was. Paul also marvels in the love of God. He marvels in it. Galatians 2.24, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. That I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. When did Jesus give himself for, for, for us? The cross. How many years prior to Paul saying this was that? Maybe 30 to 35 years before that? Notice what he said, who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> Pat, Paul acknowledged Jesus gave that act on the crucifixion at the cross. That act was for me. That was for me. Before I ever knew him, he already knew me. And he, and he died for me. 
2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15, and here we are in our text. And Paul comes to it again. He spent his life telling the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent his life telling others that he was worthless, that he was unworthy, that he persecuted, that he should have been unlovable. He, he was spent the rest of his life telling people of the God who loved him and gave his life for him. And he says here in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are manifest in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you an occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. Notice what he says, verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be, we be sober, it's for your cause. Whatever you want to say of us, whether you say we're nuts, or whether you say we're, we're okay, I don't care, right? Why? Because the love of Christ constraineth us. Yeah. That word constraineth means to press on every side. It's speaking of like a besieged city that is encompassed and being pressed in. It's of a strait that forces a ship into a narrow channel, Brother Chuck, on a, on a, on a big ship. To all you farmers out there, it's speaking of a cattle squeeze. When you run them down the chute and you get them into that squeeze chute and you pull the sides in and they gets the head through the through the uh, the headlock and you pull that bar over to get them locked in so it can't move so you can start working on it. Yeah. It's a good thing they can't move. Sometimes if they can move, they'd hurt you. Right? They'd hurt themselves. It's purpose. I was with my grandfather years ago, my goodness, 1986 maybe, 87. And uh, he had talked me into getting the bull into the barn lot. I was 12 years old and about, I, I was more than that. I don't know how old I was. It's older than that. But anyway, I was old enough <laughs> and, uh, and it weighed about, about, I don't know, 45 pounds maybe. And he said, just take these corn stalks out there and grab them by the chain, bring them to the barn. You know, so I'm like, corn stalks, here they come. They love corn, old corn stalks. Here they come, and I grabbed his chain, and I'm walking him back to the barn. And every once in a while, he'd stop, because I knew he'd stop, because I'd go, like this, right? He didn't have to do it. He just stopped, right? And uh, finally got him to the barn. We got him into the into the chute, got him in the squeeze, pulled that thing, uh, pulled the headlock on him, and we began working. My grandfather wanted to change the ring in his nose. That's all he wanted to do, change that ring, brass ring in his nose. It was starting to wear away. And we went to MFA. We got a new ring over in Aurora. Got back to the, back to the lot. The bull's still in there, you know, not real happy. And uh, my grandfather kind of saunters over there, and he's trying to get the ring off and new one. And I'm watching the whole thing, and I said, Paul, how'd you get the, how'd you get the ring in its nose? Screwdriver. Okay. <laughs> You know, that's what he did. Yeah. Good thing that thing was in a squeeze chute. <laughs> Amen. Constraineth. That's what that word constrain means. Watch. Paul said, for the love of Christ presses me on every side, besieges me like a city. It's like a strait that forces me into a narrow channel. Paul says the love of Christ is like a cattle chute that squeezes me on every side and locks me into place. Yeah. 
It besieged him. It pressed Paul. It caused Paul to do what? The love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What is the love of Christ constrained? I've said this before, probably just recently. This is not speaking about our love for Christ. This is speaking about Christ's love for us. Christ's love for us squeezes us and and constrains us, impresses us to do what? To love Him. To love Him. To love Jesus back. How did Paul say we love Jesus back in verse 15? Essentially, we say it this way. By loving those whom Jesus loves. Persuading men going out into the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in, being face-to-face with people saying, do you know that God loves you today? God loves you. Let me give you a little something uh, that you can know about heaven. Can I tell you about heaven? I mean, listen, God puts words in your mouth. You know how to say it. But it, it is the love of Christ that constrained Paul, the love that Jesus had for this worthless Pharisee to cause him to go across the entire world and eventually lose his head. That love that God had for him, he said, how could it be? That God would love a soul like me, oh, how could it be? He said, tell you what I'll do. You know what that love makes me do? It goes across the entire world, preaching the gospel and starting churches. Shipwrecked, so what? God loves me. Swimming a day and a night in the deep, whatever, God loves me. In prison, that's okay. God loves me, I'll write some letters. I've got time now. See, it's one thing to love someone by faith whom you know nothing about. Right? There's always the hope that things will be good. Right? It's yet another thing to love someone you know everything of and the verdict is bad. This is how Christ loved and loves us. You know, it's a good thing to remember this, isn't it? Because the question that is laid at our feet is this. Has the love of Christ constrained you to love him back? Like Paul. Okay, God's not called you to be a Paul. Okay, fine. Has the love of Christ constrained you to love God? Right? In a way, has it constrained you? Has it pressed you? Has it besieged you? Has it just, is it an overwhelming thought? That he loves you. That it motivates you, it moves you to love him back. No, we're living and we're watching a generation of believers falling, supposed believers, some believers and maybe some never were, but we're watching a generation fall away from God. Hey, Paul saw it. Paul saw Demas. He worked, Demas worked with him. And he said, Demas, having loved this present world, has departed unto me, departed from me unto Thessalonica. Having loved this present world, he's departed. He left. We're watching people fall away. We're watching people leave. We're watching people get complacent and say, huh, my time's almost up. Right. 
Listen, the love of Christ constrained Paul up to the day of his death. The love of Christ ought to constrain us whether we're new in Christ, uh, six months old, three years old, four years old in Christ, 40 years old in Christ, whether you're 10 years old or 15 years old or 50 years old or 85 years old. It should still, the, no matter what age we're living at, it should con, still constrain us to love him back. And how do we love him back? By loving those that he loves. How do we love him back? Obedience. Yeah. Yeah. May God help us that we would be the ones, Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, if nobody else is, and they're all, they're, we're not the only, right? There, there's so many out there that, that fall into this category, but even if nobody else does, may God help us tonight to be the ones that are so overwhelmed with the inexplicable love of God that we'd be constrained in every aspect of our life to love Him back. Yeah. You know what? Loving God should be the easiest thing on the planet. It should be. Why? We know, we know, we, we don't know anything about Him, but what we do know is, is sufficient. He's good. He's sinless. He can't lie. <laughs> right? I mean, if anybody's easy to love, God should be the easiest person, individual to love uh, that, uh, that has ever existed and ever will exist. Yeah. I just pray the Holy Spirit of God would help us. That we'd keep fresh on our mind this week. And every day and every week, I want it fresh on my mind. The enormity of God's love for me. When I take into consideration who I am. And watch, in this flesh, in this flesh, all that I'm capable of being. Even at my best state, the Bible says we're all together, we're of, of most men miserable. Even at our best state, we're nothing. And God loves you. He's crazy about you. He loves you so much. The goal, his end goal is this. He wants you to be with him. Think about that. He looks at Chris and says, Chris, I want you to be with me. He says, Martin, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me forever. Forever and ever and ever. I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. Micah, I want you to be with me. Elaine, I want you to be with me. That's what God says. Elaine, I want you to be with me. I don't want to leave the ladies out. I've got to qualify too because then it starts sounding weird, right? <laughs> That's what God's saying. What, a, what an awesome thought. That he knows everything about you and he still says, no, I want you with me. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Does that motivate you? Motivated the Apostle Paul. And watch because we have it recorded by the Holy Spirit of God, I think the implication is this. It ought to motivate us. And it can motivate us. And it should motivate us. Yeah. May God help us to love Him like this. Father, thank You tonight. Thank You that You love us. I know me. People in here, they know themselves. 
all of us in here know things about ourselves that other people may not know. And yet you know even more of us that we don't even know of ourselves. And we have got to leave your presence completely dumbfounded that you do love us. You do want us. There may be somebody in here, somebody watching online that says there's not a person on this planet that wants me. Yet we can say with all truth and assurity, God, that you want them. Though nobody else does, you do. And Father, we pray that the truth of this, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, would be so heavy upon us that we would say with the Apostle Paul that the love of Christ, it constrains me. Would you help us in that? Would you help us to meditate on this throughout the days and the weeks ahead? Just the beautiful thought that you love me. And then, Lord, would you help us to love you back? Lord, we thank you tonight for who you are. I pray, Father, that we never get used to the truth of who you are and the the beauty of who you are. We never get used to that. It's so easy. We've grown some have grown up with it, some have lived with this for years. They've heard the same messages, the same passages for the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And it can become such commonplace. Oh God help us that it would not become commonplace in our life. That we would still be enraptured and enthralled with the truth of who you are and what you think of us. Would you help us tonight in Jesus' name? Amen. The instrument's going to play. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you tonight. God loves you tonight. You can stand if you would, please. God loves you tonight. Are you constrained by that fact? If you say, you know, that that doesn't really, I, I don't know. I, I know it's true. I know it is. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that God loves me. But I don't know if it, I mean, think about that. To the Apostle Paul said, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that it constrained him. It squeezed him. It, it, it besieged him. It channeled him in. Is that what you feel like when you think of the love of Christ? If not tonight, you need to get alone with the Lord and ask him, that the way Paul felt, that you would feel the same way. That the reality of who God is and His love would be so real in your life that you would say, the motivation of my life every day is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for me. love of Christ should motivate us, encourage us to love who He loves. The love of Christ should encourage us and motivate us to seek the lost. 
to be active with the gospel every day. It's a lifestyle, not a Saturday thing. It's a lifestyle. May God help us in that. He loves you tonight. He loves you. He absolutely does. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you're going through right now. I don't care what failures are in last week or the months before. I don't care. He loves you. He loves you. I pray that you'd be overwhelmed. We'd be overwhelmed with that and constrained by that. It would cause us to serve Him and to love Him. May God help us in that. We'll see you Wednesday night, Lord willing, 6 o'clock. 7 (laughs) o'clock. Got to get through our times right. 7 o'clock Wednesday night. And uh, we'll be, Lord willing, be back in First Peter. Uh, looking forward to that, and uh, back to a normal week. That's kind of I kind of like that. And uh, you've got your bulletins, and you have all the announcements and little things going on there. Looking forward to the gears being with us next weekend. I'll be praying for them, brother. Brother, uh, brother Gear will be preaching Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to that. Be praying for him, would you please? And uh, just uh, pray that Lord would help him and. And uh, preparing, uh, preparing for that. So, men's prayer breakfast Tuesday, eight o'clock. We'll see all of you who are uh, unemployed. unemployed and retired, and all of those things. That uh, while the others are while the others are off paying.